1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. A Game Warden's children's book, titled A Cowboy in the Woods, is a story of Bobby, a boy who spends the whole summer observing wildlife, writing notes in his notebook, fishing with his dad, and keeping track of all the animals in his neighborhood while trying to solve a neighborhood mystery. What he discovers is more than just an appreciation for the natural world. The idea for this book came from Wayne Saunders' own childhood experiences, growing up and exploring the woods and streams and lakes and ponds of his native New Hampshire. The love of nature instilled in his childhood led him to a career as a conservation officer. Wayne Saunders is a retired lieutenant conservation officer from the New Hampshire Fish and Game Department. Lindsay Webb is a naturalist, wildlife biologist, and environmental educator. Together, they collaborated with wildlife artist Ashley Mares to produce The Cowboy in the Woods, the story of a boy whose love of nature leads him in unexpected directions. Available at wardenswatch.com and Amazon. Warden's Watch Podcast is now on Patreon combining the Thin Green Line podcast and the Warden's Watch podcast on Patreon to bring member-exclusive extra content, both video, audio, and with product deals as well. Become a member to support our podcast and get something extra. Search Warden's Watch podcast on Patreon. We love our children. We protect them. We guide them. We prepare them for life in the world. With all that we do, from deep in our hearts, we cannot control all things. Life-threatening illnesses and disabilities affect far too many of our children each year. While we cannot change the circumstance, we can make dreams come true. Dreams to provide hope, to provide spiritual healing and strength, to provide moments of happiness and relief in the hardest of times. We can give a glimmer of light and hope in a time of darkness and despair. Join HuntOfALifetime.org to help make dreams come true, to provide hope for children with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nonprofit organization fulfilling dreams for hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Visit HuntOfALifetime.org to learn how you can make a difference.
please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves game wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. Welcome, everybody, to Episode 84 of Warden's Watch. And Wayne and I are very happy and honored to have retired Assistant Chief of California Department of Fish and Wildlife's Law Enforcement Division, Bob Farrell, on the show today. Um, Bob is an old patrol partner of mine. We did a lot of work throughout the years. And, uh, man, what, what a great story. Uh, Wayne, as you know, because mm. Bob had a very diverse career of a lot of maritime work, commercial fishing, was yeah. you know in the Marine Corps, and kind of built his whole base on the Marine side of his conservation legacy before he became a game warden, worked boats, worked a little bit of the Met stuff with me as well, and then became an assistant chief in California before retiring, and then... <laughs> missing the field so much he went over to hawaii after being a chief in california to go be a game warden just to be a game warden mm. and get the field going because he was you know raised in hawaii and spent a couple years doing that and then totally unplanned guys which this is the great part of the story bob will go into further detail but they have a vacancy and they need a chief and who's more equipped to be a good chief and progressive over there right. than a california veteran so he becomes the chief of the hawaiian islands and now he's in it again you know just did some really cool progressive stuff over there we did a lot of advanced training for some of his guys in hawaii and definitely left hawaii uh, a better more progressive i think higher morale agency when he retired but quite a story and quite a journey and it was a lot a lot of fun to have that conversation with him yeah I, I totally agree and hawaii just seems epic and you would think after you, we talked with bob i he used to be 90 years old everything he's done in his <laughs> right. career i just yeah. like it was like a next episode next episode i'm like oh my goodness uh and, and i we asked him for some photos and after speaking with him that i had that mindset of what's in hawaii and he, he sends this photo where he's kicking back on a jet ski which uh, we'll have to look at those photos but that's my favorite i will say when i think hawaii i, I just think yeah. like that um, he certainly yeah. sent some of those high-end ones from California, uh, all decked out in his Met gear and ready to rock and roll, uh, coming out of the helicopter. Uh, so just some epic moments in photos there that we'll, we'll get to share with our Patreon members. So it's really cool, but I'm trying to, I, I think that's the cover that I would like to see, but we'll discuss it and, and see what comes out. And speaking of covers, uh, <laughs> we did uh, with the Fish and Boat Commission in Pennsylvania, so Rachel... Turner Diaz, uh, I, it was the only cover I think we'll ever have of, of pregnant game warden. And it was, <laughs> and I, I ran it by her first to make sure it was okay. And she's, she's pretty proud of that aspect that yeah. she, she, she worked her way through 
totally on duty until her son three days before she had her son and and it was weeks before she had her daughter amazing. yeah just yeah. amazing but she did reach out to me when she saw the cover she's like can you throw some other photos up of me wayne on that too just i just don't want to think everybody that i'm always pregnant or you know that <laughs> that, that was a part that i'm very proud of don't get me wrong but I, you know i like some of those pictures yeah. out there so we i did a social media thing with her and uh yeah she's she's just a great great lady great girl um just it was fun to sit down and have a talk with her but that that when we talk about covers i i put a lot into the cover so i hope people yeah, you know take do. a check out at it and, and look at it because we we select those things and try to find something different so when when rachel sent me that picture of her pregnant i was like when's the next time we're going to have somebody an officer say yeah you can go ahead and use my pregnant picture so I, yeah that I, was that was definitely <laughs> unique when kudos to her man she's yeah. such a troop so yeah. dedicated but, but to your point yeah we do we put a lot of work into the mm. cover photo to set the tone of what our guests are all about and we do mm. get a lot of pictures but most of the time we get at least several to choose from and it's a tough call yeah you know yeah. For, for everybody listening and, and watching um we, but then we provide some other stuff on Patreon as well. We bring mm-hmm. in other photos and other videos of our guests, and we're going to revisit that. And yeah. So we're not going to be limited to just one, but it's uh, for you guys, uh, you know, looking and learning about behind the scenes. This is behind the scenes production that that Wayne and I are discussing right now yeah. on what goes into putting these podcasts together and trying to put up the best package possible for you guys to enjoy. No, very cool. Episode 84, Bob Farrell, Hawaii, just epic. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Warden's Watch. And today, Wayne and I uh, have the privilege of talking to uh, one of my brothers from another mother from California Fish and Wildlife, a veteran, Bob Farrell. And Bob was a warden in California. He was a deputy sheriff before that. Extensive knowledge in marine fisheries as a commercial fisherman, a fisheries biologist supporter, uh, promoted all the way up to assistant chief in my alma mater. We were both California Department of Fish and Wildlife Law Enforcement Division officers and had the had the real joy of getting to work with Bob on a lot of operations, especially some of the stuff that was kind of my forte, as you guys know, the uh, trespass cartel cannabis grow operation stuff, which was always a, always a pleasure and uh, a learning curve for all of us. And then Bob went over to Hawaii after retiring from our uh, California agency wow. and promoted up to chief in Hawaii. And we had some pretty good adventures over there. And uh, there's a lot to talk about. And without further ado, Bob, good morning. Welcome to the show. And how are you? Morning, John. Uh, I'm doing good. You know, life is good. Can't complain. Yeah, Yeah, I've been uh, Wayne and I have been following what you're doing. And you're still in the game from the standpoint of outreach and education when it comes to the thin green line of promoting wildlife conservation all over the world. But uh, Tell us what you're up to right now. And uh, you just got back from, I think, Costa Rica, doing some work out there with those officers. And tell us what you're doing in retirement before I go in the Wayback Machine a little bit and we start talking about our history uh, on the on the Golden State. Yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, thanks. It's been a really good opportunity for me even after retirement. I mean, you know, like you, like all of us, I think we always continue to have a passion for fishing game or fishing wildlife or whatever as we progress throughout our career you know our skill sets change our abilities to complete missions change right <laughs> so as we get older we got to kind of think about you know how we're going to transition mm-hmm. and i was fortunate enough uh, you know a, a friend of mine that i had worked with in california uh, retired from the coast guard started a consulting company and asked a couple of us knowledgeable in fisheries and regulatory stuff, policy making, all that sort of thing, and ops, 
to uh, to help out with um, kind of advising folks uh, in other countries. So yeah, I've been really fortunate to uh, have some amazing trips to some pretty exotic locations throughout the world: Galapagos Islands, nice. uh, Myanmar, Costa Rica. Uh, we're working with Palau. You know, obviously, COVID kind of stopped some of the travel, but all those things, you know, are are on the horizon. And uh, so past and future travel opportunities are really looking good for us. And it's great to still, as you said, be in the game, right? And advise some of the other folks that have gone through some of the same issues or are going through some of the same issues that we've heard less steep and, and help out with their programs, uh, especially in the, the fisheries enforcement stuff. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And the overseas element, I noticed, you know, we, I went over to Cambodia. I know you remember that back when I was still with the agency with the wild project and to see what those officers were so dedicated to doing with so little resources, so little, you know, progressive knowledge and in investigative techniques, takedown techniques, surveillance techniques, especially on the Marine issue. I mean, there's so many mm. Marine species right now that are high dollar on the commercial black market that are just being decimated. And I know you and I talked obviously a lot throughout the last couple of years. And when COVID hit, all that international travel just stopped and you guys had some really good outreach training ops set up and that just hurt. And now it's, it's finally opened up and um, that, that's great to see really great to see that you guys are back on track and uh, making that dent. Cause it's never been more critical with the way the, the geopolitical climate and travel and shipping and black market, everything related to wildlife and, and other contraband is, is going right now. Yeah, and as you said, I mean, you know, the enforcement aspect of, of what we do is really kind of where folks need the most help, right? So there's a lot of great management opportunities. There's a lot of great high-level policy. You can see that on, you know, in some of the, uh, the the meetings that have been held recently is there's some really good environmental awareness that happen at the high levels. But when it translates down to the field, and actually the enforcement officers, that's where the support needs to happen. And mm -hmm. as you said, investigations, equipment, techniques, those are the things that, that don't trickle down that much to the field level. And then the resources that are available to these folks, the funding levels are kind of low in a lot of areas. And just awareness of how to make an enforcement program happen, right? It's, it's one thing to make rules and regulations, but if you have no one to enforce it or as we see in a lot of places, you're relying on someone else to enforce it. And that may not be their primary mandate, right? So mm. here in North America, a lot of, I mean, we all struggled with this, right? So no matter what agency you work with, you can look back at how your agency was formed and see some of the parallels that are happening. And, you know, that, that management was there. And then the kind of enforcement sometimes is, is an afterthought, right? And so that's not always the best strategy. You know, a lot of countries rely on their military, their Navy, their Coast Guard to enforce rules. And really, that's not their primary mandate. And sometimes, you know, they don't have the experience level to to adequately enforce stuff. Right. So we see that in North America. Sometimes, you know, uh, uh, allied agency will board a boat or start to conduct an investigation. And we have to come in and, and you know, help guide that a little bit better because, there's a lot of missing pieces, right? So we've seen, and you you know, like the drug cartels, great investigative folks there. <laughs> yeah, there's there's great investigative uh, assets that are pointed at the drug operation and completely miss the wild on it, right? So we see that. And so we're just trying to build some of those connections and 
show people that um, where the parallels are in, in a lot of these countries. Yeah, no, it, it's a great approach, man. And, and we're going to talk a lot about progressive programs because that's kind of something you and I are really passionate about. It's something I saw you do throughout your career when we were working together back on the California front and then really see it in Hawaii. And we're going to get into that. But before we jump on that, we got to go back to the real beginning, man. What what prompted that love for conservation and to go this direction and, and really go into wildlife law enforcement? And you did a lot of other stuff in the LE world. Yeah. Sure. yeah. I mean, it's quite, it's quite a pedigree, man, when you look at your resume and we didn't talk about that, but what made this the focus and just take us through what inspired you to start and where your kind of journey went for our listeners? Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess it started kind of when I was a kid, right? So I was born in Hawaii, grew up there, spent yes. all my time around the water. Uh, yeah. Every day I was in the water. We're snorkeling at a young age, you know, I had uncles and cousins that were divers and just, you know, my earliest memories are diving a reef and seeing all the reef fish and just being around the water. My family, uh, my dad, one of the top marlin fishermen in, in Kona in Hawaii, my brothers carried on that, that tradition. And so, you know, I've always been around the ocean and fishing. I, like a lot of folks my age or our age, you know, I wanted to be Jacques Cousteau growing up. Right? I mean, you saw, <laughs> no, you saw those, you saw those documentaries. And, awesome. I mean, yeah. yeah, it's like being on the water and, and just going out and doing that sort of research and just being, being in that environment was something that I aspired to. And, uh, you know, my career took some twists and turns, but uh <laughs> I think I ended up pretty close to that, right? No, I went to Humboldt State to try and get a degree and sort of pursue that marine biology kind of um, career. And then a, a buddy of mine went up to Alaska and did a, a quick trip, summer trip, as a foreign fisheries observer. So he came back, and I was like, well, that's pretty cool. And he said, oh, yeah, you should go check it out. And uh, so I did one summer, and uh, I went up there, and I rode aboard a Korean like factory trawler and this is nice. back back in the day when foreign vessels could come really close to our shoreline and fish right it was pre uh the magnuson act you know i went up there and i spent uh, two months on a korean vessel and uh, it was a learning experience uh, it was pretty cool but to see the amount of fish and just the way that they did it and everything it's like well this is really important to keep track of and so part of what observers did was the biological monitoring, but also some compliance stuff too, right? So, you know, I ended up seeing these Korean guys like dumping stuff over the side and, you know, I wrote up some affidavits and dealt with the NOAA Office of Law Enforcement to, you know, provide like a testimony of what happened. And so that was kind of my first intro to like, hey, you know, we should probably do something about that. Yeah. But also economic interests are always important to people. And I noticed that the fishermen up there were making quite a bit of money. Right. Yeah. And I thought, well, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm, I'm young. I could probably do that. And so as a result of my time as an observer up there, I went up there for another trip doing an, a similar job. I got a job talking to the fishermen, hustling on the docks and stuff. And I got offered a job. So I spent the next six years fishing on uh, the deck of a trawler, dragger, as we call them up there, out of Dutch Harbor in the Bering Sea, Gulf of Alaska. So really good experience, very hard work, 
pretty dangerous. One of the most dangerous jobs in the world. It's deadliest catch. If you know, like right. the viewers have ever watched that show. Yeah, that's you know basically what I was doing. I was on a different style of boat, but same weather, same same everything, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, again, it's a dangerous job. It's a young man's sport, uh, and I was getting older and slower. Starting a family, thought, well, you know, I better figure out something different here because you don't there's not a lot of old fishermen right (laughs) especially on the on the deck of one of these large uh, trawl vessels started looking around a friend of a friend told me hey you know the california department of fish and game has these boats and i think one of the guys is retiring and i said oh cool i didn't really know too much about the department other than a couple interactions with game wardens i i knew you know that and they were positive right yeah so uh <laughs> one of, yeah one of the wardens was a very famous california warden i'll just save save his name for later yeah. <laughs> but uh started looking into it and long story short i got the job as a, a mate fishing game vessel so basically running a research boat or an enforcement boat for the department nice and i did that for about four years down in the Delta and Bay Area uh, and also along Southern California doing various trawl surveys or fisheries surveys. Basically, I was getting paid to fish, which was, <laughs> was really cool. Right. Mm. And uh, so that was a lot of fun. But I was down on a research cruise on our boat, the Mako. I don't know if you remember that boat, John. Well, I remember a... the Mako well. Yeah, that was right <laughs> yeah. when I was starting in the early 90s. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the Mako was on a research cruise and they needed someone to fill in. And I was down there and I met two wardens, Chris Graff and Paul Hamdor. Yeah, right? so, my academy mates, man. That was right. Yeah. yeah. So they were on a boat. They were on a Wilson that they had down there. And they, they ended up rendezvousing with us at sea. And I started talking to them and they said, hey, you know, uh, you want to come out and kind of hang out with us for, you know, the night? And, you know, we'll go check out some lobster divers and see what we can do. And I'm like, oh, yeah. So that's kind of a, a pretty strong hook right there. Yeah. And they're like, hey, you should be a warden. You know, you kind of have that uh, mentality. How we could really use your knowledge of fisheries and stuff. I'm like, well, yeah, these guys were cool, right? I mean, we were <laughs> yeah. we we're out cruising around, and, and I thought <laughs> to myself, yeah, I like this job, right? So that's when I, I didn't really have a lot of enforcement experience. Going back a little bit, I'd always had a passion for diving, as I said. So I was a dive instructor. I came to the department as a a dive instructor as a Patty and a Nawi instructor. So I came to the department. And so I met a lot of wardens through that program, but I didn't have any law enforcement experience. And as, as you remember, yeah. it used to be hard to be a game warden. They weren't hiring anybody. Right. And so you really had to have something that was wanted or needed in. And I mean, I worked for the department. I had some skills they wanted, but I didn't have that LE experience. So I ended up joining the Contra Costa Sheriff's Organization, first on their dive team, later as a, a, I made it to the level one reserve. And uh, so I parlayed that and all the time I was like, well, how can I get into the enforcement program for California? You know, look, did research, went on ride-alongs with the Albacore and yeah, Berkeley yeah. with Captain Bob Wright and, and, you know, all these guys. So I did everything I could to try and put myself in a position to be a warden. And then finally it happened, right? I, I put in and I actually put in for the reserve program. Okay. And they said, well, we don't have any money to do a background check, you know? And I'm like, well, I'm already a reserve with an allied agency. And 
So that, well, you have to get a word and a sponsor. I mean, there's always one hurdle after another, <laughs> right? To get this. Yeah. And then w- one day I got a packet in the mail and it was a background packet. I'm like, oh. Well, it's happening. You know, well, here's some movement, right? And then I called and I'm like, oh, no, no, no. We want you to be a warden. I'm like, whoa, nice. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then I spent the next, you know, 20 years working my way up the chain until, again, retiring as assistant chief. So uh, it, was a, it was a great journey, a little bit different track than, than most folks take uh i i I got no complaints man no that was awesome bob and you know you hit it on the head when that er, in the early 90s how hard it was to get hired as a warden and you know here's the crazy parallel until we're having this live conversation as many years as you and i have been buddies and done work together i didn't know it was chris graff and paul hamdorf that kind of catalyzed your warden career because those guys were the laterals that came over from state parks as either a lifeguard or a ranger in my academy and resource academy four and at the time i mean just for our listeners to understand how hard it was there was there were four civilian positions in my academy we waited two years on a waiting list to get hired for unless you were a lateral like paul and chris were coming from another agency or unless you had better in preference points right so you had so many people like these other wardens we've worked with that put themselves through self-sponsored academies they have no guarantee they're going to get hired they pay their way through the academy they test really well and sometimes they still don't get hired yeah Um, so it was, it was that golden, golden job, you know, that, uh, you know, really exciting, but you might get it, you might not get it. So for you to get in the hard way, man, was one, kudos to you for doing it, but what perfect timing, because it just got harder after that for about another decade, even worse. Yeah, well, we, so I was in Resource Academy 9, right? and there was 11 of us, right, yeah. that were hired by the department, which was the biggest hiring yeah. that they had done for many, many years. And yeah. as you said, I mean, we had a class of 30 folks and a lot of those guys are really good word now that weren't sponsored in that academy, right? So yeah. like like Mark, you know, yeah. I mean, Imsdahl was in there. So there was a lot of really good folks that ended up being hired, but man, it was it was tough, you know? And, and I, yeah, it's uh, it seems a bit easier now, you know, I don't know. It, it does, yeah. And, yeah. and certainly, you know, we've you and I have both been big, and Wayne as well. Wayne's an alumni of the Northwoods Law Program. You know, you and I did work with Wild Justice and any other outreach element right. that our agency could do for the just the recruitment and retention, you know. I mean, after Wild Justice dropped for our agency, it was standing room only. We filled every position, what, within like a year. And then it stayed tough. Right. And now, yeah. you know, we, we, we get into this discussion a lot on both podcasts that you just have so a less number of young adults that have the conservation history that we all grew up on just because of a changing demographic throughout the U.S., that it's sometimes now hard to recruit good candidates that's, that want to do this job when it doesn't pay the best compared to other law enforcement agencies, but we're in it for the passion. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, right. I think Wayne, you and I have all shared that journey and Wayne has those similar stories when he talks about the East coast agencies and, and his alma mater and, and, you know, coming from a very small agency in New Hampshire. So, mm. um, but we all ended up here, mm. man. So thankfully we made it. Yeah. yeah. I'm still <laughs> trying to wrap my head around Hawaii. Yeah. Cause, uh, that's, <laughs> I, I think half the game wardens are thinking game warden Hawaii. That sounds like the ultimate, oh, bucket list item yeah. <laughs> and then for you to grow yeah, well, up there and experience all that i i just get excited because i love diving in the caribbean and yeah that's just uh when you talk about that stuff i get all fired up inside 
<laughs> well, the opportunity, I, I'm telling you, you know, for the viewers or whatever, being a game warden is one of the best jobs you could ever have, right? And Wayne, you're you're an LT, so yeah. now you've gone, you know, like LT's okay, it's <laughs> worse, you know, like yeah. getting promoted. I mean, it's something you have to do. It's something mm-hmm. you need to do. You need to give back to your organization. But my passion and my, you know, most fun stuff was when I was a warden, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's really what we signed up for. That's what. It's a lot of the job. stuff we talk about on this show is that that entry level, those cases that we did as a, right. as we started. Because yeah, you're right, and the things that we remember, Bob, are those first, you know, those first years before promotion, and then it depends, <laughs> you know, it depends what your role is, whether how active you can still be in the field with your administrative right. job, the the liberties you have. I mean, when I was a lieutenant, I, I was a great job. I liked it because every guy that had a hot case, I went and mm-hmm. I. Got involved because i could no one told me i couldn't (laughs) so i was there and that that added a little more fun but you could sit in the office if you wanted to but i didn't want to do that i wanted to be part of the investigations and things like that and some administration's jobs don't allow you to do that if i went up one more step that would have been the end of that would have been just parked in the office and that's exactly why i stayed where i was (laughs) yeah well and that you know that you're exactly right wayne and that's you know, I'll talk about my motivation to go to Hawaii, and, mm. and that's exactly it. Is like when I was a, a lieutenant, I was on a boat, so again, you know, free reign, yeah. and, mm-hmm. and it's the same with with California. Is if you're an LT, especially if you're part of a team like John was, you know, the Met team, you're in the field, you're doing stuff. Mm. Uh, it's a great place to be. You know, as you go up, uh, captain. I was fortunate. My captain's role was with our special operations unit. So I had our, our covert team. I had our uh, DB, our high risk kind of warrant team uh, that was uh, mainly in the Delta, but also throughout the state. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when the Met team first happened, I think I was in charge of that for about a week, John. So you know, <laughs> and I never got to know that until after. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, uh, but you know, and, and in fact, it's funny, Wayne, I delayed. So when I promoted from Lieutenant to Captain, I delayed my promotion to uh, participate in Operation Full Court Press because oh, yeah. that, that, and John remembers that it was a huge op, a 30 day op in Mendocino County for cartel grows. And I said, I want to go on that. But as a captain, I knew I wouldn't be able to, right? So I thought, well, can I delay my promotion? They're like, oh, okay. (laughs) No one's ever asked that question before. (laughs) Yeah. So so I went up there and and was able to be on on our apprehension teams, which, you know, that was – we had, you know, that was the first time we had kind of come up with various roles, you know, the reclamation, and uh, so I was able to go, and John came up for a couple ops. We were – in there with, you know, other agency SWAT teams and really, hmm. really kind of showing them our field craft. Right, John? Yeah. You know, it's yeah. kind of like, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a full moon, guys. You can secure that night vision. It's all right. You know, we can yeah. see here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, anyway, it was a, a good time. So anyway, uh, yeah, going up the chain like that. And then as assistant chief, my gosh, I was down on headquarters. Hmm. I was, you know, going across the street to the Capitol every day talking to politicians, just not what a game warden wants to do. Mm. And, uh, you know, but it's important, right? Yes. So when the opportunity came up to go to Hawaii, uh, I kind of thought, well, I have enough time to retire and I really want to end my career while I still can physically to be in the field. And uh, so I had the opportunity and I went over there and 
oh man, it was great. You know, <laughs> I was, I was, I think I was 54 years old. And the first thing they said was, oh, hey, uh, Bob, um, you're going to be on our marijuana team. So um, you have to go get rappel certified, you know, and I'm thinking we stabled from helicopters. But the last time I rappelled from a helicopter was in like 1979 with the Marines, right? I'm like, <laughs> okay, I'll do it, you know. And uh, you know, we're, yeah. we're 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 doing this training that you know was a bit high speed, uh, and I thought, okay, I'm back in the saddle. This is great. And so, you know, working on the Big Island as a warden, it was just. A, an amazing experience a lot of fun getting back to the field but then you know there's always the but then right <laughs> they the current chief uh in the position for hawaii didn't make it off probation right and so they all knew i was the chief but i had told them i have no interest no, i'm here to just, go back and do field yeah team. i'm just yeah. here to have fun and uh, you know i'll help you guys any way i can and uh, you know and they're like well you should be you know and and then I thought it was basically a year of like undercover boss. That's how I describe it <laughs> yeah. because I had heard all the stuff and I knew, you know, that I could fix a lot of stuff based on my experience that the guys were struggling with in the field to help move the agency forward. There was a lot of open the computer and start to fill out the application and shut the computer. I don't want to do this. But at the end <laughs> of the day, you know, I was obligated, man. I was obligated mm. to, help this agency take it to the next level and be where I knew they could be in a short time. And so I took the chief's job and I was there a couple years, two years, and I was able to accomplish a lot of stuff, including they had never hired just an entry level game warden, right? So all the guys that came over were laterals from local agencies. The opportunity to build those skills of a game warden from the ground up Mm. is really important, right? Yes. Having our own academy, uh, having things that, you know, we can, we can help them build those skills in a, in a good setting before they, you know, get into the law enforcement mindset. So I think there's a balance, right? I mean, I mm. know I'm talking to the choir here, but LE guys and there's game wardens, right? And certainly there's some good uh, folks that can transition but it takes time, right? So right. entry-level folks that have a good skill set in both LE and conservation law enforcement, you know, those those are are rare characters, right? So yeah, my, my state and... police friends would call that weird. And it's no dig on our brothers and sisters in blue. It's just it's a different mindset. And a exactly. Different forte, right. So when you have, you know, state police coming over like Oregon does Wayne out here, and mm -hmm. Bob, as you know, um, but, you know, so, something, Bob, that was really cool is you and I got to know each other and work together is you and I shared the same mantra of, hey, man, if there's something that's not working quite right and we're not making the biggest dent, we're not doing it the safest, we're not doing it with the best tools or mindset, let's get progressive and change it. And I know now I'm preaching to the choir when I say a lot of agencies just have a mindset of tradition, you know, we're not really uh, open to change necessarily because we're comfortable in our, in what we're doing. And when you went over there and spent that year or whatever, you know, being a warden and playing undercover boss, you were seeing all those little chinks in the armor, so to speak. Oh. And you were going back to kind of California days, you know, with the special operations background and, and that job you did as a captain and then getting out on, on Met Raids with us. And you had some ideas on, hey, I can fix this. I mean, I got really good hearted guys 
we went over together. You had me come over. We kind of put on a tactics class, shooting, trauma medicine, open field stuff for your marijuana guys. And you kind of forewarned me. You said, look, man, they don't have a lot of equipment. I'm just trying to get them some stuff right now. And I'm bringing them all from all the islands for this training. But what I noticed is the mindset and the dedication with your guys over in Hawaii was second to none. They were so eager like us back in the pre-Met days when we were just trying, hey, man, can we just show up? Uh, you know, can we have a radio that works? You know? <laughs> right. Like, you an earpiece or whatever. Yeah. Uh, then you get excited when you get one. <laughs> and, uh, and, and you know, you when you got in that chief's position, you had the ability to leave that impression, you know, before retirement. And uh, tell us about that process, what you saw, why you went that direction, and, and, and what effect you think it had. Yeah, well, so there was a lot of things. I mean, you know, from just pay for the guys yeah. and how to get them extra pay creatively, uh, training. One of the things that, and it's um, kind of a law enforcement thing for Hawaii, is they're the only state out of 50 that doesn't have a post commission. You know, there's really no training standards. And so, as I said, for Hawaii, for uh, DOCARE, the Division of Conservation and Resources Enforcement, that was left to them to like develop standards and do all sorts of, you know, their own policy making or whatever. So I saw a lot of stuff that they needed help with. And I also wanted to get, there was a lot of guys passionate. There was a lot of guys that grow up in Hawaii, a lot of the uh, local Hawaiian guys that want to be game wardens, but you know, they don't, they don't want to go work for say an, a PD uh, in the islands or whatever they don't they don't want to do that they're passionate they're great divers they're great sportsmen they have good uh ethics but they don't have the opportunity and all this stuff was kind of like swirling around i'm like you know we can do this so that's why i approached the local law school and some of the other interested ngos and we got funding for an academy so i put that the very first don't care academy together yeah, along awesome. with that we brought over, uh, we got the guys into uh, an FTO program because they never had an FTO program. Huge. And we also, yeah. we also put together a background, right? Because there was no requirement to do a background investigation. So those, those three things alone mm. are very important to the success of an agency, right? Getting good people in the door, right? Giving them proper training and making sure that they can uh, perform in the field, right? That gives them a jump start, and it starts to... Uh, you know, build your agency morale, your agency ethos, all that sort of thing. At the same time, you'll love this. So I contacted some folks in California Post that I knew, and I actually flew them to Hawaii. And I put <laughs> all the supervisors through uh, a post supervisor school, right, nice. with California Post folks. And uh, they're, you know, the, of <laughs> nice. course, yeah, the, and it was through a South Bay Regional Training Center. They were really excited. They're like, you want us to come where and do yeah. what? And I'm like, yeah. Can you, know, can you tell our listeners over. what POST is, Bob? Yeah, it's the Peace Officer Standards of Training. So basically every state has a, a commission that allows, uh, you know, some oversight of the minimum training standards for police. And so as law enforcement agencies, game warden agencies, conservation officers, whatever you want to call them, they all uh, adhere to that standard for whatever state they're in. If you don't have those standards, and usually they're, we go above and beyond. Every agency goes above and beyond the minimum standards. But if you don't have those minimum standards, it can cause some issues, right? Mm -hmm. So there's no requirement for a background, no requirement for F, no requirement for any sort of continuing education training, supervisory training or whatever. Yeah. Right? Do, do you think and because then, Hawaii was an island, it was kind of, 
you know, off by itself and kind of off the radar and wasn't, since it, I think in the United States, the continental United States, we all work off each other. And then it sounds like Hawaii was kind of off doing its own thing, but never really interacted. Is that right? Yeah. So, so a lot of the standards that you'll see in the local police, like say Honolulu police or Maui or the big Island, they, they have standards, but there was no post standard. So they, they roughly mirror standards that you'd see in any other state Mm -hmm. but you're right i think they evolved certain ways right certain things and certainly their game warden ranks of on their own more similar to the local law enforcement standards so i tried to bring them into the fold so nice in in addition to those things you know we i um put the officer of the year stuff together so that we could have that incentive or that morale builder and mm-hmm. also send that guy to Nawea, which uh, has never had a Hawaiian game warden uh, in attendance until we sent our first officer of the year in 2018, I believe. I think so, it was wow. 19, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, well, actually, so you were in Oklahoma, but the yeah. previous one oh, was okay. in, yeah. uh, where was that? In Wyoming. So Wyoming was the first year. Yeah. That was really, you know, received well. And then also, and as I knew I was, had a finite number of years as chief for a variety of reasons, but so I wanted to, you know, bring the folks into the fold. So I was able to send two of the officers to the command staff to NACLEC to make them, to to get their connections going on that. And so the current chief uh, there was my deputy chief who's been to NACLEC, who's made those connections, really try to help them, bring them into the brotherhood, right? Yeah. Bring them into the game warden brotherhood. Really important. Uh, and I'm going to ask you it. again, Bob, to let uh, NACLAC, I know we all know what it is, but I get I do get yeah. a lot of comments. Thank you for letting, stopping your guests and a- explaining these acronyms. <laughs> so, <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> and I know we, so, we do the same thing. So. <laughs> yeah, so NACLAC is the North American Conservation Law Enforcement Chiefs. Basically a subset of uh, other organizations like AFWA, which is the American Fish and Wildlife uh, Agencies, uh, NACLEC kind of shot off their law enforcement committee stuff, and it's made of all 50 states. Represent, they have representation on there, all the chiefs. Mm. So they run a program, a training program, that you can send your prospective uh, command <coughs> folks to to get some training in higher-level management, but most importantly, make those connections yeah. with other command staff from other agencies. Because, like I said, we're unique enough. And, so and I, important. And I, I totally respect all law enforcement, mm. you know, entities, but we're unique enough to warrant our own kind of connections and, and build up. And I, I think, you know, we always, we were never thought of as true law enforcement back in the day, John. I, you know, I mean, I'm sure in New Hampshire, the yeah. same, you know, yep. we're game wardens. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. you guys are game wardens. You check hunters and fishermen. And then slowly through progressive management, like, like Nancy, I mean, I, I so much Nancy Foley was yes. a, a guest on your show yes. yeah. and I so appreciate, you know, like the stuff that she did, not at the time, but now in <laughs> oh, retrospect, yeah. I'm like, man, this was really progressive at the time. And so most agencies are there now. I mean, mm. we have full law enforcement authority. When we show up on scene, we're requested because of our expertise. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's a, that's a new thing. I mean, have you been in this game for more than 20 years? It's like the game warden showed up and, yeah, you know we were. Uh, yeah, you guys go stand over there. If we need you, we'll call you. Now we're the tip of the spear. Yeah, you know? we're like, hey, uh, you know, you guys have four wheel drives, right? Mm. Yeah. 
uh you have a boat oh yeah yeah you can survive for three days without being in a hotel yeah and who has a thousand it? feet of rope in their cruiser and everybody turns <laughs> yeah. to you right yeah <laughs> so all these things you know i mean and, and john's team you know the marijuana team all the all the things that we can offer in the world of you know law enforcement are now being recognized as hey these guys know what they're doing and, it, and it's funny because I know, John, you've been hanging out a lot with the special ops crew, you know, like a lot of SEALs and Rangers. And yeah. that's us, man. Yeah. That's what we do. You yeah. know, uh, the so only true. difference, I think, and it's funny because I was reflecting on this before the call was like most game wardens work alone. Right. That's how we did it. Yeah. We if you saw us with somebody else, that was FTO or a ride along. That was right? a total <laughs> anomaly. man. Yeah. Back <laughs> yeah. In the- Sure. And, and now we're getting more into the team aspect. You know, we always did it in the Marine because you need a couple guys to tie the boat up usually. But, you know, now we have the special operations unit, the, you know, DB, Met, uh, a lot of these team approaches to wildlife law enforcement. That's relatively new still. Right. And mm-hmm. so a lot of us guys didn't play well with others, which is why I kind of became wardens. Right. So good work alone. Yeah. And, and, you know, to that point, Bob, that's what it is. It's not just, um, a lot of my SEAL team and Delta brothers that I work closely with now that see what we're doing on the wildlife law enforcement side domestically, but using those same tactics there, they tell me all the time, they go, yeah, I just couldn't get it in my mind that game wardens could be special operations operators and be competent at that. You just, we just don't see you guys that way unless we come from that hunting background and there's a handful right. of do. Oh yeah. You hear about the stuff you were doing in Hawaii, what we're doing, what Texas is doing, what Florida is doing is I'm looking at some other tier one spec ops teams. And we have Lonnie Suchel, who's a buddy and a captain of one of the Florida SOG teams. And there's a team that's been around long before we had met or deep. They can you know, go doing the whiz bang special operations job. It's about this force multiplier thing going on nationally now when they need a rural team to track or to surveil. Met last year through COVID, spent a bunch of missions tracking down armed fugitives that had murdered people and then finding lost people that were a derivative of that investigation just because the skill sets are there. And you're right, bud. I mean, Wayne and I both know, you know, that when it comes to really being self-sustained outdoors and comfortable doing it, it's a real rare number of officers that can and will do that because it's just not in their, it's not in that scope, you know, yeah. it's not in that history. And, and it, it took a lot of years, man, to really get that type of credibility that I think we all deserved early on. And I think we all spent our careers proving that. You know, so we're not just the bird and bunny cops, but we're out there as a legitimate partner to any law enforcement agency for any job. Yeah. And that's what the U.S. has developed into. Yeah. We, have to, we have to kind of wear a different patch, put the same hat because stuff's getting pretty Western and it's, yeah. it's just in the wildlife realm. So yeah. absolutely. Yeah, you yeah. did a ton of that, man. And I'm really I'm grateful that you did that and pushed that in our agency because we were the minority, not the majority with that mindset mm. from the field level. And then what you did over in Hawaii, man, I think was just incredible. Um, and to go over there and work with those officers and see them fired up like we were training a new unit we would in California and build those bonds. Because, Wayne, you said it best. Yeah, where's Hawaii? What are they doing out there, right? It's an island. <laughs> I knew nothing about Hawaii game wardens before Bob got over there. Yeah. I didn't even know where they were in training. Uh, you know, the fact that it was only like lateral guys and there yeah. were a handful of them. How effective could they be? Yeah. You know? That was my question. And I quickly learned that if we just get out of our little, little circle, you know, our little bubble, we're all wired the same way. We just need the support, you know, I'll tell you a funny story about Hawaii. 
but uh, a shout out to Florida too. We just brought on uh, Curtis Brown, the former chief yeah. of Florida. Uh, yeah. He was down in Costa Rica with me. Great guy. I, nice. I knew him before from AFLA meetings, but he was down helping us out in Florida or I mean in Costa Rica. So really good guy. And yeah, Florida is a great agency, you know, especially in the Marine stuff and, and all that. But um, so when I first went to Hawaii, you know, they, they, um, I didn't have a patrol truck. Uh, you know, there was just like, <laughs> it was, it was pretty, pretty minimal stuff, man. And, um, but there was a couple guys there again, they were passionate about it. And, uh, so, you know, they were trying to show me the ropes and they really wanted to learn from me and talk mm. to me about, you know, how to, what cases in California look like. And, you know, some of the investigative stuff that we, we had done. So I said, Hey, uh, do you guys ever work at night? They're like, no. And I'm <laughs> like, okay, so why not? Well, it costs more money. So they have a night differential, right? And we okay. don't have it in the budget. That's what they've been told. Right. So, you know, I'm not shy. I've been the chief, man. I went to the supervisor, LT, nice guy. And I said, uh, you know, uh, hey, is there any chance we could work at night? Well, you know, we just don't really have it in the budget. And I'm like, well, you know, uh, maybe I kept on bugging him. And he says, well, let me call, you know, the chief at the time and see if we can get it authorized. Right. Okay, no problem. Literally the first night I worked, we got spotlighters. Right. And it's like, (laughs) look, you know. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, we just got these guys. I mean, they literally were like driving down the road with a spotlight, jumped out of the bed of their truck, chasing pigs, you know, in, in rural, you know, big Island with headlights and guns. And I'm like, see, you know, so that from then on, it was really cool. It was like the, the story with, uh, I'm sure Tyson, one of your teammates, uh, he was, he was a trainee of mine. We're obligated. I'm sure it's the same for you, Wayne. We're obligated to show new wardens how to work spotlighters. I mean, mm-hmm. that's like the bread and butter of Absolutely. what we do. Mm. You know, I mean, if you haven't made a spotlighting case, you can't be called a game warden. That's right. Think, you, know? you got you got to make the cut, man. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we drove up to an in, in area uh, that, um, you know, was pretty popular. And it was one of those things, just, just, you know, blind luck, whatever, maybe a little bit of skill. But, you know, I'm talking to Tyson about how we're going to do it, how we're going to set up, you know, some of the tricks of the trade. And boom, you know, 8.30 at night, here comes a spotlighter. There's the gift. And I was just like. There's the gift. <laughs> for training yeah. when you need it most. Yeah. Yeah. So it was hilarious, you know. But uh, anyway, uh, yeah, the Hawaii guys, you know, they just, stuff like that mm. was uh, just new to them, right? They didn't know. Yeah. And uh, one of the unique things about Hawaii is they also work parks. So yeah. that was new to me, right? I mean, because the the park, the way to work a park a static facility like that is kind of usually different than what we experience as game wardens so that was a new for me and we had you know developed some strategies to do that but um, you know at the end of the day i wanted to keep the focus on resource violations Mm -hmm. making sure that these guys knew that that was their most important you know uh, job is to protect the the natural and the in hawaii is a little bit different the cultural resources so a lot of folks go there and try to you know, get petroglyphs or whatever kinds of things that might be out in the field of some value, right? And there's a lot of a lot of stuff in Hawaii that different than California. It's all it, there's a lot of religious uh, and cultural uh, monuments and shrines and and things like that that really have um, you know been disturbed by folks just looking for artifacts. So it's a little bit different from it's good good to learn for me. 
Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It, Bob, when you look back, um, what stands out? What stands out over a long career? And you're kind of still in it. I think all three of us are very lucky and blessed to still be doing the outreach and education aspect of it. And I like to say that sometimes the pin is mightier than the sword when we can speak freely outside of one agency's umbrella and really share game warden stories and promote the thin green line, you know, now globally. But but what are the highlights, if you could think of any, you know, handful of things that just really guided your career in the right direction, certain memories, certain people, always like to hear that if you have something on mind. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously the the entirety of the career is fun. It's a roller coaster, as you know, John, you know, yeah. you have some lows, you have some highs. Uh, I think overall, I look back on it and, you know, we just have the most amazing stories to tell. The unfortunate thing is like, you know, when you're old like us, <laughs> we have plenty of stories, but nobody wants to listen, right? So <laughs> That's why we podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Warden's Watch, boys, and Thin Green Line. We're going to give it to you. Yeah, but, uh, you know, so, so I think, you know, just looking back on the entirety, it's great. But one thing I, I've noticed is that what we share, the passion for the resource, there's a lot of folks that once the light is shined on what we do, people can get behind that. Right. Mm, and so. also yeah. the, the, the synergies that we have, like back in the day, we, we had certain say, you know, attitudes about people who maybe hunt and fish. Right. And, and certain segments of the population, a lot of us have stories and we saw the worst of the worst. Right. I mean, we did. And it's unfortunate because if you can still enjoy hunting and fishing after what we saw, it, it takes a certain mindset to do that. And so when you say speaking freely, it's like, I love to fish. That's if we're talking about fishing game, I'm the fish part, right? Right, right. So uh, <laughs> I, I do enjoy hunting, but I really enjoy fishing a lot more. But during the time we did that, we didn't really have opportunities to do that freely, I don't think, right? And and it's like, yeah. oh, you went on a guided hunt where, you know, and well, how'd you arrange that? Or So we have that freedom to do that now. And then also working with a lot of the NGOs who's maybe – vision didn't align with the departments Very you know, that we work for. So now, you know, we're able to kind of advocate outside the lines a little bit for you know, legislation, for um, policy, for those sorts of things. So I think that freedom is, is good to have with the perspective that we gained during the time we were in, right? As a chief, I had a line of NGOs out the door wanting to write checks to well how can we help how can we help and now right. in a position to really guide those ngos to say well here's how you can help from a true enforcement perspective right and it may not there's certain things that you can do like you can hang all the signs you want but at the end of the day you're going to need someone who's enforcing those rules right so those relationships with ngos i think that i built when i was in uh, just being just having my door open right, whether it was in California or in uh, Hawaii, having the door open to talk to them, listen to their perspectives. A lot of guys won't take the time to do that. A lot of folks have their own vision of what a law enforcement or a conservation law enforcement agency needs to do, and they don't entertain those alternate ideas, right? Mm, and yeah. we're in a position now where we have to do that. Yes. You know, we're competing for resources, and, and that's going back to Nancy. That's one thing she did, right? Her door was open. There was a lot of diverse folks that came in through that door and talked to her. Yep. And, you know, sometimes we don't, we don't do that when we're in the field, right? Listen to their perspective. Doesn't mean it's right or wrong, but 
listening to that. So going back in my career, just listening to people, listening to their perspective, and also balancing that with what I knew was, you know, like I said, the worst of the worst, man. Yeah. And NGOs are not immune, right? <clears throat> the time I was in Africa with my daughter, uh, you know, we went down there to, to uh, do some training, talk to the guys. And they said, yeah, you know, some of the folks, the wildlife care centers, they actually stole the leopard cubs, killed the mother, stole the cubs because they knew that they could get more funding for people wanting to see baby leopards. Right. You know, I mean, yeah, what's going that's on? Terrible. There, yeah. yeah, that's terrible. Yeah. And so that you really have to pay attention. And I think from our perspective, the lessons we've learned on a variety of levels, investigative, you know, whatever, is like we can we can affect change and, and get some of those those actors out, you know, like everyone that's watched Tiger King, that helped us too, right? <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it I mean, some... I know you guys interviewed uh, Carlos as well, right? Mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah. You know, it's like people see that and they're like, and they're like, yeah, we have that in California. You guys know that, right? And uh, they're like, no, no, yeah, we got yeah, people yeah, keeping so... tigers in their backyard, man. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the 671 process for the readers that don't know, or the listeners that don't know, sorry, 671 is the California title that uh, manages or, or uh, regulates restricted species, right? So we always say, oh, 671. Well, wardens are responsible for inspecting those inspecting facilities. Inspecting those facilities, yeah. Often <laughs> do it a lot, yep. Yeah, and, you know, I remember uh, when we took it over, I was actually in headquarters, and our first inspection was on a tiger facility. And, uh, you know, one of the tigers dead. And it's kind of like, oh, my gosh, this is in California, folks. I'm sure it's in, in everywhere, right? People yeah. keep crazy stuff, man. Yeah. Yeah. The North Heat gets cold. We like tangents. No. We like rabbit holes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was a, it, it, a deep it, one. Sorry, man. And, no, and really a good place to go. But what you hit out of that statement more than anything was now that we're in retirement and still pushing the outreach message is – the law enforcement component of wildlife protection is is one big piece of the cog, but it's not the only cog in the machine, right? This thin green line of conservation enforcement, passion for wildlife and protecting it globally, it takes all of us. It takes mm. the NGOs. It takes people just listening to a podcast that are love the outdoors and have no idea the stuff's going on to say, hey, that needs to be a priority. Those game wardens need to be looked at as a tier one asset because they're on the front lines and we need to help support that. And uh, brother, just everything you're doing now post, you know, post operational career is great. We're going to keep it up, you know, help any way we can team together because uh, it's an endless fight and our resources are under siege every year, a little more and more with everything going on outside of just, just development in general. And uh, man, what a, what a, what a great conversation and appreciate you coming on the show and uh, any, uh, parting thoughts for a new game warden if you could give a tip to somebody that wants to get game warden, because because of this podcast format and some of the public stuff all three of us are doing we're all getting questions right yeah. we get hit up on an email meet somebody at a dinner meet somebody at an outreach function whatever what's what's a tip you could give somebody starting out that's never been in the field before yeah so i would say that do a do a few ride-alongs to yeah. see if it's what you really want to do because there's a lot of folks and I'm sure, you know, all of us here are probably field training officers and even, even with the Academy experience and everything that we try to portray, you know, a lot of folks are like, Oh, I didn't realize I was part of the job. So, yeah. you know, go on a ride along and pursue, pursue the passion. And this is truly what you want to do. It's going to take some effort 
and it's going to take, you know, a little bit of hard work to get in the door and enjoy it while you can. And, you know, it's, there are ups and downs, just like any other job. Make sure this is something you want to do and pursue that goal. You know, we see a lot of folks that want to be game wardens. I'd love to be a game warden. And they have a vision of what that means. In order to turn that vision into reality, go on a couple ride alongs. Just see what it's about. Do as much research as you can and hunt and fish, right? So yeah. If, uh, you that know, helps. I, we like to see that. Yeah, yeah. We, we definitely want to, that's what it's all about. We're, you know, we're regulating that aspect of what people do. Just one last thing I always say is like, you know, one of the things that we do is most of the folks we meet are doing the right thing. That's the difference between mm. what we do and what Ellie does, right? Yep, they're absolutely. not calling, generally, they're not calling 911 for the game warden. So, you know, we don't right. have that heads up. It makes it a little bit more tactically challenging to do that. But at right. the same time, it's like most people are out there having a good time. They're recreating. And that's a beautiful thing, man. Yeah, yeah. beautiful to see. Oh, well said, man. And just, hey, thanks for coming on the show today. It's it's always yeah, good thanks to Thanks for you. inviting me. Yeah. But but to but to share the story with our listeners, and we got a lot of them now nationwide. Uh yeah. this this is stuff that needs to be heard. And we really appreciate you being on and, and sharing that. And there's not too many game wardens that can make me jealous because I've I've had a pretty full <laughs> career. But I will say, Bob, today I have a I don't want to do a ride along in Hawaii because I have this impression of what a Hawaiian warden is, and I'm just gonna stick with that and be jealous. So <laughs> uh, again, yeah. yes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, excellent, excellent conversation. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures, protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves game wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, mule there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.